Welcome to the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast, a view of culture, current events, and politics through a biblical lens, with your hosts, Neil Boron, Bob Duco, Roger Marsh, and John Rush. Now let's join the conversation. And happy to be back with you folks for another week of the National Crawford Roundtable with John Rush, Roger Marsh, Neil Boron, myself, Bob Duco. Gentlemen, how are you? Morning, Good Bob. Well. How are you? Well. Another, another week at it again. Uh, well, I'll tell you, it's so many different things, obviously, that we could be talking about. But this week, uh, we're going to focus specifically on what's making the news in California and some western states, the wildfires that are taking place, the global warming climate change alarmists are kicked into high gear right now. Uh, we're hearing that it's record temperatures out in California and that these wildfires are being caused by global warming climate change. And if only Donald Trump had not taken us out of the Paris Climate Accord, then we wouldn't have these wildfires going on. It's really crazy. And so uh, maybe it's just time for us to have that global warming discussion. And that's what we're going to do this week. So uh, we've been watching, of course, what's what's going on with the wildfires. And I mean, look, this is serious stuff. We uh, People are suffering. There's a lot, homes and businesses are being destroyed. Uh, people are being caught up in the fire. So it's a devastating thing. There's no doubt. The question is, is this really because is this caused by man-made carbon emissions? Is this a product of so-called global warming and climate change? The president met earlier this week with California Governor Gavin Newsom, as well as uh, some others, the Secretary of Natural Resources, Wade Crowfoot. And of course, they were trying to lecture the president telling him this is uh, this is serious climate change is real this is why this is happening and the president pushed back he said look you watch things are going to start getting cooler okay just like it was back in the 1970s the coming ice age things are going to start getting cooler he was told uh, I wish the science agreed with you and the president responded quote well I don't think the science knows actually end quote which by the way I don't think it does, quite frankly. I think he's right. So yes. yep. let's, uh, Roger. This is your territory out there, okay? You know, if you if you weren't out there, you know, with your blowtorch in the backyard, kickstarting <laughs> these things, maybe this wouldn't happen. So, uh, first of all, Roger, give us your kind of bird's eye perspective from the People's Republic of California. Of course, you host the Bottom Line uh, out of Southern California, but it's broadcast up the West Coast. So, what's your take on what's going on out there? Well, first and foremost, um, you know, for people who would look at what's happening and, and, and want to get an opinion on it, I can give you a daily update. Uh, you remember the, the, the picture of, I think it was the movie Endless Summer, where they had the kind of smoky haze and the sun's going down or whatever? That's kind of what the sky looks like here all the time right now. I mean, this morning waking up and seeing a, a little bit more sunshine, a little bit less of the smoke has been very refreshing. And I was interviewing a guy not too long ago in Missouri who said he's getting some of the smoke where he is. So, I mean, I realize it's moving everywhere, and that is obviously unsettling settling to people. The question now, of course, is how did it get started? And and you would be hard-pressed to find anybody trumpeting the same thing that you just talked about other than that, which is it's climate change. We knew this is going to happen. We need more money. We need more policy shifts, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The, the crazy thing about this is when you look at the cause of the fires, and you look at you know the equation that goes into this in terms of you know what about the brush what about the overgrowth what about the environmental laws that have been passed here i mean going back to arnold schwarzenegger days the gray davis days i mean uh, even back to pete wilson days for crying out loud mm. you've got a 30-year history here in california of really bad environmental policy that is now coming to roost. And what's starting the bulk of the fires, I mean, some people have been arrested. I think there are four or five arrests for arson up and down the coast, even pushing into Oregon. But what really is the, the, the culprit is not so much the changing climate as the really bad environmental policies. And I know right. that there are those who would argue, you know, on the other side saying, well, that's not true. It's climate change. I mean, you can, you can go top to bottom and look at the laws that have passed in California designed to, to protect one little small component without realizing, hey, wait a minute, when it comes to what causes as a wildfire in California. We've had 15,000 lightning strikes here recently. That's just a part of nature. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's God's intended order. And right. if you strike an area that hasn't been logged properly, that hasn't been cut yeah. back because of environmental concerns, it's a tinderbox. It's an accident waiting to happen. And, and just real quick to reiterate what Roger just said, I just looked up calstate.edu. Keep in mind what I just said. Calstate.edu. 
Dot.edu. That's a conservative organization. Is that right, guys? Is it? Which, which they're right up there with, uh, they're a little bit right of Breitbart. Yeah. God, okay, a little bit right of Breitbart. Okay, headline reads, number, why are California fires so extreme? That's what this article says. This is from, again, Cal State. Number one, forest fuel loads are high. One of the reasons we're observing more fires is because of 100 years of poor forest service policy where we hmm. didn't allow prescribed fire or wide wildfires to burn. There was back in the 70s, or no, sorry, in the, in the 70s, there was a big shift. It talks about that in this article. But it also goes on to say before the gold rush, there were 50 to 70 trees per acre in California's forests. Today, there's more than 400 trees per acre mm-hmm. yep. in California's forests. Hmm. See, that matters. Now, I'll tell you what, let's I don't want to assume everybody understands about what's involved in thinning forests and clearing underbrush and such. And so, Roger, maybe if you could, especially out there in California, just kind of explain that. Because a lot of people don't realize that when you have a lot of that underbrush, this is this is dried out. This is kindling. You want to start a campfire. That's the stuff that you need to do this. Right. So when yeah. you're so help explain it. Give us a little bit of forest management 101. <laughs> uh, what is forest <laughs> management exactly, and uh, uh, and what is it that the environmentalists? Why is it the environmentalists don't want these forests thinned? They don't want controlled burns, and they don't want the underbrush cleared. You know, it, it's really remarkable, but when you get right down to it, I mean, life is pretty much math. Once you know the equation, you do the equation, you can pretty much figure out where you're going. When you take the forest into consideration, for example, trees have three options when, when a tree grows. A tree is either going to grow until it dies, it's going to grow until it gets harvested, or in California, it's going to grow until it burns because of these natural lightning strikes and things that happen. And so what happens is in the case of the dead trees, eventually the dead trees get burned out or they get knocked over and, and they're replaced with new trees. When all you do is don't cut down the brush, don't allow for any kind of logging and keep planting new trees, you can see what happens. If harvesting declines, for example, then the tree mortality rate is going to increase, fires therefore are going to increase. I mean, you could you could see it's just a recipe for disaster that's going on right here. And to John's point, when you, fo- you form the Environmental Protection Agency in the 1970s, you see massive land grabs by the federal government to try to federalize everything to make sure it's all going to be taken care of. And then you have year after year after year after, I mean, it was so bad. The California legislature back in 2010, there's a guy by the name of Chuck DeVore, who's now working for a public policy institute in Texas. He left the People's Republic about six years ago. And I remember interviewing him when he did leave because he said, look, I mean, Texas is getting this kind of stuff right. California is is a death sentence, basically. But when you get the Forest Service in California's National Forest, if they are protected from timber harvesting, you wind up going from the beautiful circle of life to becoming a net contributor to atmospheric carbon dioxide uh, residue due to fires and trees. So, and then the insects and everything else comes into it. So if you don't maintain it and just say, let's just let it grow and let's even add some more trees. All these companies, hey, let's go ahead, you know, where every tree we cut down, we're gonna plant 100. Exactly. John's point is very well taken. Instead of having 50 to 70 trees per acre, now you've got hundreds of trees. The, the land can't handle that. So the environmentalists are, with their heart of hearts, saying more trees is good for the environment, it's good for the atmosphere, it's good for everything. But at the end of the day, it creates literally more fuel for the fire and a lightning strike that would ordinarily have just burned away dead stuff that was there in God's perfect plan now has a lot more matches to strike and boom. You wind up with a couple of million acres of of charred remains that never should have been burning in the first place if they'd taken into consideration the, the, the natural order of cleaning and controlled burns. We haven't even gotten to the fact that people build stuff on top of these two. We right. can talk about <laughs> right. electric transformers for Pacific Gas and Electric and, uh, later in the podcast, but th- we're just talking about the natural cycle of life here. Yeah, let's uh, let's get Neil in on this. Uh, Neil Boron, of course, Neil Boron live out of Buffalo, New York. You know, all those crazy Buffalo, New York wildfires. I know you're a, a real <laughs> expert when it comes oh, yeah. to. But uh, Neil, I mean, what's your take on everything that we're hearing from Roger and John? I'm just fascinated listening to it because I, I know absolutely nothing about proper forest management. But I have been absolutely amazed by what's going on and how quickly everyone jumps on the bandwagon to say, well, obviously this is a result of you know climate change and policy and it's all Donald Trump's fault and therefore you should just, you know, seed control of every policy and all government to us and we'll take care of this for the future. Because honestly, obviously they haven't done a very good job. If what you're describing is true, then there's been years, decades maybe of 
mismanagement, and now we're seeing the result of it. But let me just ask a question because it, it seems incomparable. I was talking with John before the podcast here, and, and we were saying, like, it's unbelievable that millions of acres can burn, and there's still tens and hundreds of millions of additional acres of of forest out there. I mean, it's unreal how how massive the scale is that we're talking about here. But when the president says something like, you know, we really need to clean the floor better, meaning we ought to rake up dry leaves and make sure that we're taking care of pine needles that fall to the ground and some of the tinder brush or whatever, you know, you got going on. How do you do that over the course of hundreds of millions of acres? How do you how do you cut down enough trees? To, who's well, who's gonna who's gonna cut them? I, I I'm not I'm that. not disagreeing. I just want to know. No, it's fascinating answer. to me. No, we we this is a topic we actually not because of the podcast today, but this came up on my program yesterday, and I had some. You know, you guys know what it's like when you got listeners and you got all these different. That's one thing I love about radio is you just get so many people that have so much knowledge that then pour into your shows. That <laughs> you know, I don't know about you guys, but I mean, I learn something new just from doing the program every single day without even doing prep work, just from the people that call in. Mm -hmm. So this topic came up yesterday. And when we had a couple of older, you can tell from the voice, you know, these are older gentlemen. Of course, when they start talking about things that happened in the 60s and 70s, you you know how old they are. But to answer your question, Neil, back in the day in Colorado, I don't know about other states, but in Colorado, what they used to do to thin the forest and do forest management, they would actually take prisoners. And a lot of the prisoners would then be put on, you know, depending upon their severity of crime and so on, they would be put on crews that would actually go out and help the Forest Service manage the forest and the the underbrush and the widowmakers and all the different things that are there. And in Colorado, part of our wildfire problem has been beetle kill, which has affected us greatly in in Colorado. That's another topic maybe later in the the program because we've not done a good job of thinning those trees and managing that. But, But back in the day, Neil, they would have programs whereby volunteer organizations, the Department of Corrections and so on would get together and actually help thin the forest with all these different organizations coming together. And that has vanished. We don't do that anymore. Hmm. I'll tell you what, hang on a second, a short break, guys. We'll pick it up from there in a couple of minutes. Uh, More on this National Crawford Roundtable coming up next. Be transformed by the Word of God with Alistair Begg and Truth for Life. Every weekday, Alistair Begg teaches the Bible through in-depth, verse-by-verse attention to the Word of God. You can listen to Truth for Life on your local Crawford Broadcasting Station or listen online at truthforlife.org. Please support this important ministry with your donations at the truthfullife.org website or by calling 888-588-7884 and be sure to let them know you heard about Truthful Life from the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. Continuing this National Crawford Roundtable with myself, Bob Duco out of Detroit, with Roger Marsh of The Bottom Line out of Southern California, John Rush, Rush to Reason out of Denver, Neil Boron, Neil Boron Live out of Buffalo, New York. We're talking about the uh, wildfires in California and Western states and the argument that this is driven by global warming, climate change, and if Donald Trump and those rascally Republicans would just pay attention to the science, we're hearing a bunch of that terminology, but it actually just doesn't make sense. Uh, the, the the underbrush, the, the lack of forest management and forest thinning and controlled fires and the things that need to be done to uh, not turn these forests into tinderboxes have not been done because the environmentalists have had their way. Uh, by the way, and, and, and let's real quick, yeah. I want to add one more thing to that too. Somebody called in yesterday, and I've not been able to verify this. So if somebody out there listening can and would would email us or whatever. I didn't get a chance to verify this last night, but supposedly there was a study out of CSU, which is our ag, uh, you know, our, our public ag college here in Colorado, and there was a study done from CSU recently that a professor found that, believe it or not, guys, and again, I have not checked these facts, but according to his data and what he has said. of forest fires started in the United States of America are man-caused. They they are not caused by lightning strikes or anything along those lines. They are literally people being careless or purposely setting fires. That's not climate change, guys. No, it's not. Well, actually, what they need to do is they need to hire that guy named Hugh, because remember the old commercial, only Hugh can stop forest fires. <laughs> so, I know, I'm sorry. You know what? Nothing is too shameful. Uh, what? By the way, John, what is? What's your take on Joe Biden politicizing this the way that he's done? Actually, calling President Trump uh, a climate 
arsonist. I mean, the, we know what ha- after the uh, after, of course, the horrific shooting ambush attempt on those two uh, sheriff's right. deputies in Compton. Uh, what does Joe Biden do? Within 24 hours, he tries to turn this into an anti-gun thing. We need to get weapons of war off the street. Okay, this was a this was a handgun. So that that's supposed to. Right. But he, but he he uses that opportunity to try to politicize it into an anti-gun thing. And so now he's using this to try to politicize the Paris Climate Accord and the climate change thing or whatever, which is really a shame. People are being devastated. But to to call him a climate arsonist, what that's doing is suggesting that Donald Trump and anybody who's not on the global warming bandwagon is in essence responsible and they have charred ash on their hands. Right. Now, and and I, the way I c- compared it, and again, because of everything we're talking about, this came up yesterday in the program. And really the way I see it, guys, is to me, this is just one more desperate attempt from the left to try to win an election that I think they know right now they're going to have a very, very hard time beating Donald Trump with everything that's going on. Uh, I've just done enough of my own sort of fact-finding in the public and listening and so on, and maybe done some of my own surveying, if you would, that people are tired. They're, they're literally, they're tired of COVID and hearing all the nonsense and the misreporting that's going on there. They're tired of all the mask wearing, and they're definitely tired of all of these riots and the things that are going on along those lines. And this event that you just talked about goes along with that, Bob. They're tired. So knowing all of that, the left now is going to add one more thing. Let's let's resurrect climate change because we dropped that through COVID, but let's get that back again front <laughs> and center because it hasn't been around now for six months with COVID being here. But we got to bring that back front and center. And to me, guys, it's just one, one more desperate attempt you know for the left to try to win an election. John, i got to ask you opinion about something here. And that actually, I'd love to get Roger and Neil's opinion on this too. Bear with me, guys. I'm going to just pull a short, brief audible and go off a side tangent, and then we'll come back. Because something you said caught my attention about how uh, the Democrats are desperate because they realize that this election is slipping away from them and such. Uh, So you appear to be pretty confident John, uh, with with all of these things going on, that the weariness and the tiredness of it is actually yep. going to serve to benefit President yep. Trump. Now, yep. I'll be honest with you. I I tend to be a little bit more nervous about the tiredness, weariness factor, and and only be. And so, let me give you my perspective on this, and I'd love to get your response because I might be wrong. And by the way, I hope I am. But here's what my concern is: that you've got. Not a lot of people, but a few million Americans, a few million, uh, which is enough to make a difference, but that uh, they're, for the most part, apolitical. They don't really get involved in politics. They don't watch Fox News, but they don't watch MSNBC either. They'll watch a little bit of the NBC or ABC nightly news, and, and they'll get their basic news from social media and from their friends. Okay. And and I see those people as getting weary, and they're going, oh. I, I'm just so tired of everything. The stress, the anxiety, coronavirus, the mask wearing, people are out of work. Add to that, there's rioting and fires and burning and looting going on. And now we got the wildfires and everything else. And and I, and there's so much division in Washington and fighting and the tension is higher than ever before. I just can't take it. Maybe we just need a change. You know, if we just get rid of Donald Trump, it's got to be his fault. Let's bring in somebody that's more of a normal establishment person so we can get life back to normal again. Uh, I just feel like there's a few million people who are looking at this emotionally from a surface level like that. I just want to go back to when things weren't this crazy all the time. And that might cause them to say, we just need a change. And they're uneducated. They don't know what the facts are. But the bottom line is, they just want things to go, quote unquote, back to normal, and they feel like getting Trump out of there will do that. My concern is you're going to have a few million people who think that way, and that could be just enough to tip the scales. That's why I tend to be a little bit more nervous and pessimistic. Uh, John, correct me, because I would love a dose yeah, of optimism. And, I, and I'm, in a, I'm in a, you know, we are definitely in a blue state here in Colorado, and from the the uh, analysis that I've been doing and just the people that I've been overhearing and there's times where I'll be in public and you know nobody knows who I am what I'm doing anything along those lines you just sit and listen and I, I do think there's a little bit of what you're talking about Bob where there is some fatigue and maybe some will just vote for what they think might be the status quo and get things back to normal but I'm here to tell you that the message that the left continues to drill out there and I realize that even some folks that don't pick up a lot of 
of news and aren't in depth like we are, but they're still hearing some of what's going on. And, 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 and what I mean by that is you've got to be, you've got to have your head literally right now buried in the sand to not know that these riots and the things going on along those lines are not coming from the left. I mean, we have got people that literally are, are, uh, how should I say it? Um, glorifying some of those things, if you would, that are on the left. I mean, everybody out there that's got any kind of a brain knows these things are coming from the left. And on top of that, you're going to add what I was reading on Nextdoor, because I watched that as well to sort of get some ideas of what's going on in the in the public sphere around me and my neighborhood and so on, which I live in a you know pretty liberal area of, of Colorado. And, and I'm telling you, these people are talking about the very things that we're talking about here. It's being publicized even on things like Nextdoor, where they're even making fun of Atlantic articles talking about how you know the Democrats are basically extorting us into voting for them, that if we don't vote for them and we don't vote for Biden the day after, there's going to be more riots than we've ever imagined. Trust me, the, the people out there listening know this stuff is coming from the left, and they're not going to put up with it. All right. No, look, I, I hope. I hope you're right. I think that applies to most people. I'm just concerned how many millions of it doesn't take that many million people. To, you know, three, four million people is enough to swing the election. Well, yeah, unless we yeah. get enough of our side to come out in droves and vote, I know. which we didn't really do in 2016. A lot of Christians stayed home in 2016. I know. I just, I, I'm, I'm just wondering, can they be? Will they be outweighed by the people who say, "I don't know what's going on. I just know Donald Trump is in charge, and it wasn't this crazy before Donald." Trump, and I want to go back to pre-crazy days. Uh, th- th- how many of them are going to think that way from the surface that pretty much politically do live in a cave, but that's just what they're feeling? Uh, Neil, I'd love to get your take on this, Neil Boron. I know we got to go into a short break as well, but uh, we're just a little bit of a diversion talking about this briefly, and then we'll get back to the whole climate change wildfire stuff. But Neil, what's your take on that as we go into a break? Well, let's do it. Let's take the break, and then I'll share my thoughts. You're listening to the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. Learn how to walk the narrow path with Steve Gregg. With over 40 years of studying the Bible, Steve Gregg is passionate about teaching you how to apply scriptural wisdom to every aspect of your life. Listen to The Narrow Path on your local Crawford Broadcasting Station or online at thenarrowpath.com. The Narrow Path is 100% listener-supported. Please keep this vital ministry going with your generous financial support and let them know you heard about The Narrow Path on the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. Back again on the National Crawford Roundtable with Bob Duco in Detroit, Michigan, Roger Marsh in Southern California, John Rush in Colorado, and my name's Neil Boron. I'm in Buffalo, New York today. Um, my take is uh, I... I kind of concerned too for the same reason I, we talked about this a little bit either in the last podcast or the one before it the, the whole what i call like the mushy middle the undecideds the people in the middle who haven't made up their mind and, and i'm frankly one of the things i'm most concerned about is what is or isn't happening with regard to telling the truth in political campaign ads i mean uh, i saw an ad the other day i can't really do it justice but i mean it was about the economy and it was about how jobs are coming back and that's all nice but um, I think people are struggling with being out of work right now and stuff. So, I mean, you, yeah, you can talk about the economy if you want. I would have shown rioting in Portland. I would have shown, you know, tear gas and people throwing Molotov cocktails into buildings and burning down and said, you know, if you want the future of America to look like this, vote for Joe Biden. You know, this this uh, campaign ad brought to you by Donald Trump. Like, uh, like get after it. And the other thing was uh, they, he did this town hall recently. I think it was yesterday or the day before. And a student, somebody supposedly undecided, asked him a question and, you know, he like about the coronavirus. And the president himself said, uh, you know, well, I what have I done about the coronavirus? I, I you know, I was I shut down China. They weren't allowed to come here. We shut down Europe. But he wasn't giving dates. And, and I just wished I was cringing. I was thinking, how about saying in January we shut down China <laughs> and shortly thereafter we shut down Europe. And we said they're not allowed to travel here because this is serious. And then what were the Democrats doing at that time? They were trying to impeach me. Like, he didn't he didn't bring that out. And I just thought it was a missed opportunity. So, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I'm concerned about the mushy middle. But I think, like John said, that the, the average American really knows something is tremendously wrong with where we're headed as a country. And you got, you know, old school 
Republicans talking about truth, justice, and the American way, you know, mom, apple pie, and Chevrolet, and, and the American flag, and other people are burning American flags. And I think the, the, that true Americans don't want that for our future, and I think that they're going to swing towards Trump if we can get the message across and they'll believe it. All right, Roger, what's your take on all this? Yeah, I echo what John and, and Neil have said in, in your comments too, Bob. I mean, this is a, obviously a very crucial election coming up, and the amount of information that is out there is one thing, but how it is processed and how it is applied is something totally different. And I think the one wild card will be how many millennials show up, how many baby boomers show up at the polls, you know, when you get right down to it, because the, the, the sentiment of, I was talking to a, a member of my extended family who said, you know, quite frankly for me, I kind of want things to go back to the way they were, so I would vote for a ticket that had Joe Biden and Mike Pence on it, you know, because they're 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 traditional, you know. I mean, they're, they're senators and congressmen and governors, and they've got this experience. And both of them have been vice president. I don't care about the political party, but I, and I heard the sentiment there, which was not necessarily those guys. I think would be oil and water, but uh, you know, if you get right down to it. I mean, that there's a hearkening that I think older Americans have that says we want it to go back to something that feels like normal. See, the that's my concern. Gonna, that's yeah, my concern. How many people are going to do that? Yeah, and that, and there and therein lies the rub is are we going to see what the new normal looks like? Because some people might say, yeah, Joe Biden gives you that experience, but Kamala Harris, I mean, she's young and multi-generational and multicultural and, you know, the, 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 anything's better than what we've got. To your point, Bob, about, you know, the, the, the concern that maybe we're at a point now in American history where uh, if millennials do show up, they could very easily vote, you know, with their hearts rather than with their heads. And, and that could be disastrous. Well, you know what? It could be. And, and so, I look, I, I'm probably the most pessimistic of the four of us right now on on this issue. You are. I, I'm not saying that I think that Trump is going to lose. What I'm saying is that uh, right now, I honestly, genuinely would call it a coin toss. I, I nope. really would. I'm, I'm going to call the election will be called by 9 o'clock that night. Oh, come on. Seriously? In, in With mail-in voting in, even? In, in, yep. In no. favor of Donald oh. Trump. Oh yep. my! I'll tell you. Look, I I will. Gl I'll tell you what. Uh, the podcast that week, okay? Because the election is Tuesday. Okay, <laughs> yep. so here we go. When we record the podcast uh, the next day, uh, I will gladly, John, eat whatever okay. hat you want to send me. Okay, if All right, let's do it. If, if it's <laughs> declared, okay. Th there is no way. If Joe Biden concedes and gives a concession speech, okay. Uh, I will eat any kind of. You send me like a a a, a, a taco. Now, and I'm saying nine Colorado times. So that's eleven East Coast. Okay, okay. all right, hey, I, I Bob. Just, you're Bob. Yeah. You're forgetting that that marijuana is legal in Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> you know what am I thinking? <laughs> of course. Yeah. Hey, John. No problem, man. We got yeah. it. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Let me let me invoke my inner Joe Biden. Come on, man. Yeah. Uh, well, I, was, I was waiting for you to knock on the door and say, John's not here, man. You know. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, you know what? That's a very good point, Neil. Of course, John. You think everything's going to know. I would be very surprised. I really would. I have a feeling that there's going to be a whole bunch of states, first of all, that the media will refuse to call because they're going to be holding out for, well, yeah, but let's see how many mail-in ballots are. Yeah, but here's how many mail-in ballots are. Yeah, but we don't know if all the people that went to the polls, how many people received mail-in ballots that didn't request them. And now we're waiting for those to show up because before we knew how many absentee ballots were specifically requested. But now we have no idea how many people chose to use the physical polls versus cho chose to use the mail-in ballots. Uh, so we don't know what that number is. It's an abyss number. And so I'm going to predict there's probably going to be at least 10 states that will be decided when 100% of the precincts are in that the that the uh, the states themselves and the media will say we refuse to declare the state because we have to wait and find out how many ballots are going to come in because we don't know how many people chose mail-in ballots over us. So that's my best guess. We'll see. Could be wrong. All right. Now, second half of this podcast, we're going to get back to the whole global warming climate change discussion, dive into that a whole lot deeper, and we will continue the second half. By the way, don't forget, you can listen to the second half of this podcast at Crawford.Live or Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and more. This has been a Crawford Broadcasting production. Continuing the second half of this National Crawford Roundtable podcast with Neil Boron and Neil Boron Live out of Buffalo, New York. Uh, Roger Marsh of The Bottom Line from the People's Republic of Southern California. John Rush. 
Hey man, rush to reason. Yeah, that's, that's of, right. Uh, Colorado. <laughs> Whoa, did they still call them doobies, John? I don't think <laughs> that's a long me. time ago. Okay, uh, and of course myself, Bob Duco. I, you know, I talk trash, but we've got recreational pot here in Michigan too. So what can I say, John? Uh, and uh, But we're talking about the climate change, global warming debate. We talked about this in a podcast last year, but with all of the wildfires going on in California and western states and President Trump being called a, quote, climate arsonist uh, as a result of this, uh, we thought we'd go ahead and address this issue today. All right, so guys, let's get back then to the question, the kind of a larger question of climate change, global warming, uh, that type of thing. First, first aspect of this I want to talk about is the 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 argument from the global warming alarmists that every single bad natural thing that happens has to be tied to this. We're going to have more wildfires. We're going to have more hurricanes. We're going to have more tornadoes. We're going to, and so it seems like every single time something happens like this it's automatically going to be connected to, quote, unquote, climate change, extreme weather, all the euphemisms that they use. Uh, my problem is this, and I think we talked about this last year on the podcast when we brought this up. If you go back, I think it was about 12 or 13 years ago, uh, we had some really big predictions from Al Gore and others that we are going to see an intensity of hurricanes hit the United States, a higher level of intensity and a higher frequency of hurricanes. Now, what's considered a major hurricane is category three or above hitting landfall. So we were told we're going to have a record number of, uh, uh, of uh, major hurricanes hit the United States, but also a record high intensity of them. And amazingly, we had a 10-year stretch where we didn't have a record number of intensity. We didn't have a higher than average. We didn't have average. We didn't have below average. We actually had zero category three or above hurricanes make landfall on the United States for a 10-year stretch. That has never happened in the history of rec meteorological record keeping back to the mid-1800s. So this is how, this is how absurdly wrong they were in their predictions. But it doesn't change the fact it, you're going to have hurricanes happen sometimes. You're going to have wildfires happen sometimes. They've happened for centuries. They will continue to happen. But now every time it happens, it's connected to this and we get the, see, I told you so. Uh, so let's kind of go around the table first and get your thoughts on the claims of the frequency of, uh, uh, of crazy weather, wild weather, hurricanes, tornadoes, and wildfires, oh my. Uh, and I suppose, Roger, let's start with you since you're out there in the thick of it, no pun intended. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, the the cr the crazy claims fall into two categories. The first one, of course, is how does that energize the left? And secondly, how do conservatives look at this and say, okay, we want to see what the actual facts are and what's really happening. You know, I, I, it's funny, you were talking about the incidences of hurricanes and storms and things like that and the Inconvenient Truth Academy Award performance by Al Gore. Remember back in 2012 during the, uh, during the campaign, uh, Chris Christie is governor, uh, governor of New Jersey, I guess, and, and they were, they were going to have that big Category 5, here it comes, it's going to be apocalyptic. Didn't they have to create a term for what wound up happening? Because Hurricane Sandy kept getting downgraded, 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 and eventually it wasn't even a hurricane anymore, so they called it a superstorm. Oh, that's I mean, right. If, if the media well, and the polar vortexes, too. Don't forget those. E exactly. I mean, we've, we've got this thing hitting Alabama right now that was Category 5 until it wasn't. You know, and now it's Category 2, and it's just a bunch of rain. I mean, and I'm not minimizing the damage of the people who are impacted, but let's face it, there's a certain crowd, and, and the, the world that we live in is surreal in terms of the way media is presented because people will take it for what when they want to what they want, and the headline will last forever. So if you put the headline out there, you know, we got another Category 5 heading toward the Gulf of Mexico, then people will just go, oh, wow, remember that Category 5 that didn't Well, no, because it never made it, you know? Right. That never hit New Jersey. I mean, it hit New Jersey, but it was a storm. These are all things that, that you've got to fight that hurricane in addition to whatever. We see it here in California. Obviously, there's smoke in the air right now. I have smoke allergies, so it's been really tough for, for my household dealing with this type of stuff. That part is real, but in terms of why this is happening and the causes of these things happening, I mean, it, 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 there's a big disconnect from the actual truth, and it's just 
helpful that we, I'm grateful that we have our podcast today to talk about this kind of stuff, to present this kind of truth that our listeners can then share with their friends as well. Yeah. You know, uh, Neil, it almost seems like it's a religious cult that some of these people are following. There, It is kind of a wide-eyed religious zeal that some people have that climate change, Mother Earth, uh, Nancy Pelosi said last week, Mother Earth, Mother Nature is angry, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, but but there, there is almost a kind of, I'd say demonic, but, but spiritual obsession that people have about the Earth and carbon emissions and global warming. And there is a religious zeal that I see people adhering to this too, that, that they don't even, they won't even have rational talk about it. They'll just go crazy. It's that they, if you deny quote unquote global warming, it's as though you told a Mormon that Joseph Smith is a false prophet. That's the way that people respond. Well, and why not have religious seal? There is a religion called environmentalism. I mean, yeah. basically, right? Yeah. And, you know, if you go all the way back to the garden, honestly, I don't want to get too far off the beaten path, but, you know, Adam and Eve believed the serpent that they could be as God. And so after the fall, and they recognized they were naked and ashamed, so they crafted for themselves fig leaves. And right there is the demonstration of the fact that we as human beings have tried to solve all of our own problems. We don't need God. Let's take him out of the equation. Right. So if there are problems in the world, uh, we can fix them. And we know what's best. And, you know, now here's the other thing. I think the Christians have largely removed themselves from the debate because of this very reason. And so, you know, this whole idea that we're supposed to steward the earth, and I don't know if we'll have time to talk about it later, you know, that God has given us dominion and that we should be wise stewards. Largely, truthfully, we all know that well, Christians have done a couple of things. We've made a few overtures. Realistically, most people don't look to the church for information about how we ought to properly care for the earth. Like you said, you know, this deforestation or whatever, you know, whatever they're doing to maintain forests there in Colorado and California, it isn't the church leading the effort to say, hey, let's get our communities together and let's go take care of the land God has given us. So if we're out of the equation, then we're not a part of it. And Roger hit on it when he made his comment. I think you mentioned the media. Bottom line is the media controls the conversation in this country largely, except for maybe Fox News and the National Crawford Roundtable, just those Mm -hmm. two. But, you know, (laughs) uh, really, people just, they hear what they hear, they accept it, they swallow it. I mean, it's the whole, uh, here, I think it was here in the Buffalo area, somebody said um, that if the governor of New York State told you to wear a dead squirrel on your head and you won't catch coronavirus that people would actually be doing it why because we we accept whatever the talking heads are saying on tv and and who gets to make the the loudest noise the liberals part of the you know the liberal elite and the whole progressive left so if that's all people ever hear that's what they're going to believe and it's just easy to sway people on these kind of things yeah you know uh, john what's your take on this and especially as i was mentioning the, the religious zeal that people seem to have toward this it's almost like you can't have a rational discussion on the facts and on the science with uh, w- with a global warming alarmist, they just kind of get wide-eyed. It's like having a conversation with one of those uh, flat-earth uh, kind of people mm-hmm. or with one of the the Illuminati, Bilderberg right. Society-obsessed people. It's like you want to wave your hands in front of them going, okay, you know, wake up, snap out of it. Let's have a normal conversation with each other on the evidence. You can't do that with these global warming alarmists. But no, wait, let can't. me jump in. John, right. I know you got to right. say something, but right. isn't it true on the other side too? In other words, uh, when somebody says, hey, we've got some data here that indicates there's a few changes we ought to be concerned about regarding the environment, that Christians or conservatives would say, we're not listening. It's a hoax. All of it's a hoax. So are we open to the data on the other side? I guess it's a question I'd like to explore, well, too. I'm sorry, I John, for cutting you off. I know I absolutely am. If somebody tells me the moon is made of green cheese, okay, I don't go, Psh, oh, what an idiot. Okay, I say, give me your evidence. Give me your best evidence. Mm-hmm. Let's examine it. I think that's how we should look at it. I just wish we well, could get Well, as an apologist. Well, you, that's how you operate, and God bless you for doing that. But I think more Christians need to do take that kind yes. of an approach. Well, John, I'm sorry I would for cutting you off. Agree. No, John, fine. your take. Yeah, you know, real quick, let's just take a quick break. I know that's where we're at. Let's take a break. You're listening to the National Crawford Roundtable. Dr. Michael Yusuf leads the way for people living in spiritual darkness to discover the light of Jesus Christ. This tremendous outreach begins with the proclamation of God's word through the uncompromising biblical teaching of Dr. Michael Yusuf. Leading the Way is here to equip and strengthen the church to stand strong and to advance the gospel in today's ever-changing world. 
Listen to Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Yusuf at ltw.org slash listen. And be sure to mention you heard about their program on the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. And we're back, National Crawford Roundtable. Myself, Neil Roger, and of course, Bob Duco out of Detroit. And, you know, to answer your question, Bob, and great discussion, by the way. I love listening to this because this is another area where personally, I, I feel like the church in, in general, not a particular dom- denomination, but the church in general has really dropped the ball. Unfortunately, throughout all the years, and I, I, you guys know my history, you know how I grew up and so on. Unfortunately, we were kind of the, it, it, to Neil's point a moment ago, we were sort of the deniers that there's any problems anywhere when it comes to these sorts of things. We should have been, and, and my dad was great in raising, you know, uh, my brother and I when it came to, you know, being in the woods and leaving things better than you left them. And if there's, a, you know, trash or anything like that, you know, take that with you and how to manage the forest and so on. So, I mean, I, I learned a lot from my father, you know, growing up about the outdoors. And mm-hmm. the reality is the church should have been the champion behind a lot of these things that we're talking about, whether it's, you know, just how we handle the earth, the deforestation, making sure things are left better than they were. But no offense, guys, we almost went the opposite. And, and I'm not trying to poke anybody in the eye here, but what we did was we went to church and became the donut-eating, coffee-drinking, almost overweight crowd that went to church rather than, and I realize the other side looks at you know, the environment has its own religion, and so they're out in it, and they're probably more fit, and I think the studies even show that a lot of them are, and those outdoorsy-type people uh, are typically, you know, uh, they're in better shape. Let's fa- I mean, I live in one of those areas. Let's face it. They, they are. They are in better shape because they're in the out-of-doors. They're exercising. They're doing those things, and, and I'm not, again, I'm not trying to poke any of them. I'm just, I'm just calling it out as it is, guys. We became the potluck church that was more worried about eating and feeding our faces and and gathering around for fellowship than we were doing the things that we're talking about and now no offense we're sort of reaping that of what we sowed years ago what were I we couldn't sub- say amen more heartily yeah now now amen. let me Indeed. let me put that into let me put some uh, some meat and potatoes to this now what specifically should and by the way i agree with what you're saying i do which let me put down my donut hold on okay uh, <laughs> <laughs> what give us some ideas what things should we have been doing you know, while enjoying those potlucks? Well, you know, first of all, the church should not have moved away from politics. That's one of the first mistakes we Agreed. made in saying that let's not get, you know, let's just let's just stay away from it. That's that's the world that needs to handle that. That's not us. Huge mistake, by the way. Good thing our founding fathers didn't do that, right. um, or we'd really be in bad shape today. But the reality is we, we moved away from that. And, and again, we really moved into more of this, well, you know, church is about fellowship, and let's make sure we're gathering together and breaking bread and doing all those things. The problem is we broke bread so much we became all 100 pounds overweight, and, and we didn't help our cause at all when we start talking about the subject that we're talking about right now, because it's really hard to have a conversation about environment and being healthy and eating healthy and even teaching all of those healthy lifestyles when we ourselves are, are not healthy and, and aren't even out doing the things that these others are doing. Now, I, again, I'm, I'm painting a broad brush. I realize there's a lot of Christians listening to this podcast that, that are the outdoorsy type, and they hunt, and they fish, and they're fit, and they, they know everything that I'm talking about in this regard. The problem is we didn't talk about any of this stuff in small groups or from the pulpit or in Sunday school. We, we just, we, we sort of guys thought if we swept it under the rug and avoided it and, and called it what it was, which was a big hoax, we'd never have to deal with it. Well, we should have dealt with it in a better fashion some 50 years ago. Yeah, and let me just add, I'm thinking of Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Why do I bring that up? Simply because I think that largely, to some degree, and again, John, I'm not trying to overstate this either, Like, uh, but that we pulled away from culture. We stayed inside the four walls yes. of our church, and we stopped yes. having conversations with lost people and stuff, we so did. they, didn't, they didn't even know what we thought about the environment. It was a conversation they were having all by themselves. They didn't know that, that we believe that God's the – well, they might assume that we think that God's the creator of, of the universe and the world and everything that exists, but that we're scripturally commanded to, to steward this earth, to love and care for it. And they didn't see that coming from us. They didn't hear it from us. And so, you know, why is it that it's so hard to, to get somebody to come to church? Because they don't know a Christian. They live in our neighborhood, but, but we've never introduced ourselves to them. So, I don't know. I, I do think that we've shirked our responsibility to have these conversations in day-to-day life. And so then when it comes to the push and shove of, of an election or something so uh, so big that, you know, that it just becomes explosive conversation. It's them over there, and it's us over here, and 
never the twain shall meet. And I think we've shirked our responsibility in that area. Yeah, and, and I'm not, you know, guys, real quick, I, you know, I live in Colorado. I, I love nature. I love the outdoors. I, I, you know, I would almost call myself a tree hugger in the fact that I love trees. I, you know, I own a landscaping business. I mean, I love the outdoors. I love, I mean, I love all the things God created for us to enjoy in that world. And we should have done a better job of promoting that. But, you know, guys, I'm the type of guy that, you know, I just had a bunch of work done at my property and there was an easement where we had to move some different things and make some things happen. And I had the choice of moving some full grown trees that cost me a fortune to actually spade and move versus taking a chainsaw, cutting them down and chopping them up. I chose the prior versus the latter just because I didn't want to see six trees die. I mean, but you know what? We don't promote that we as Christians feel that way about nature enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Well, you know, I, I, I get what you're saying. I, I do. I think maybe for some Christians there's a, uh, there's a pushback because th- there's, there's such an extreme tree-hugging nature Agree. that some people have. Yes. That, that, that it, it, so it we almost... threw the baby out with the bathwater, unfortunately, right. Bob. I mean, Instead look... of just having that dialogue and conversation, we just, to, to Neil's point, we just went into our own little little cave and just said, oh, let them figure it out. Right. Well, but, but well, the question it... becomes, uh, what? how should we then, as, as believers, view the environment? Do I want clean water and clean air? Of course I do. I don't want my, my neighbors to be drinking poisoned water where the aquifers are damaged. So I, I, I support all of that stuff. But you also better believe that I support drilling in Anwar. I support offshore drilling. I support tapping into our own resources. I support making ourselves energy independent. And by the way... But here's here's the thing I don't think we do a good enough job on our side of. And by the way, Bob, everything you just said I believe in. But we need to add to that why. Why do we believe in those things? Is it just so we can all get super rich off of the oil coming out of the ground? Or is it because we want to benefit and lift up the entire world with those natural resources? Well, I, I, I think there's nothing wrong. I don't look at it as, oh, we want to get rich with all those resources. But I look at it as, uh, if I have some inventory in my closet, why would I not put it on the shelf? You know, I agree. And so it seems to me but, that— But to some people, that's not—you know, to some of on that side— that's not a good enough answer, whereby saying, listen, if we can take those resources and do it in a way that has little environmental impact, which, by the way, most do, and we can then take those resources and lift up the entire planet with those resources, which, by the way, we've done, that's a better answer than just saying we're going to make money off of it. You know what? If you think about and by the way, I would agree with you on that. Uh, I think it benefits the entire world when the United States as leader of the free world becomes energy independent as we've I moved agree. more toward. And by the way, right. this might sound like some of a stretch to you, to you guys, but I think that President Trump's uh, policies of d- uh, developing energy independence here in America served to assist us in the Mideast peace deals that we've been Agreed. seeing between UAE. And so, because guess what? Now suddenly you got Middle Eastern nations like United Arab Emirates, and by the way, Saudi Arabia, which is in the pipeline, they're realizing, you know, the leverage that we used to have over the United States and the rest of the there. world is not as strong as it used right. to be. And so That's maybe, right. just maybe, we're being forced to the table. Well said. But I would argue Trump not put, if he didn't put us in a position of strength by tapping our own uh, natural resources the way that he has, I don't believe he would have had Kushner would have had as much negotiating power. So yes, I agree with you. It, the, the the residual benefit is it brings about more peace in the world, especially uh, in areas like the Middle East. So I do think it benefits everyone, and it certainly benefits our neighbor when oil prices are brought down and more affordable, and we don't have to depend on foreign governments and such. Uh, and so all in all, I think it's a, a genuinely positive thing. I just know that that when I see a tree cut down or when I see an area that used to be forest and it's raised and there's a parking lot that's put in there now, I, I don't. I don't feel the need to reach for a Kleenex. My, my lip doesn't start to quiver because I think to myself, hey, this is great. That tree's gone. Somebody's going to get a new baseball bat and a piano. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the parking lot means it's going to be connected to a building. It could be a church. It could be a shopping center. And if it's a shopping center, it's serving the needs of a growing population that we can get out there and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. To, to me, I, we have the resources. Let's use them. I don't see anything ungodly about that. No, but on you know, and I know I know we got to take a break, Roger, and I'll let you I'll let you take the lead on that. But I want to add something to what you just said, Bob. Yeah, Roger, go ahead. 
Okay, well, let's go ahead and we'll break, and then we'll come back with more of this conversation on this edition of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. Dr. James Dobson left a successful career in academia to preserve and promote the biblical family in America. The radio broadcasting ministry of Dr. Dobson spans over four decades, earning him 17 honorary doctorate degrees and an induction into the National Radio Hall of Fame. Today, Dr. Dobson continues to champion marriage and parenthood through Family Talk. Listen every weekday at drjamesdobson.org and be sure to reference the National Crawford Roundtable podcast when asked how you listen to Family Talk. Welcome back to the National Crawford Roundtable podcast along with Neil Boron in Buffalo, New York, Bob Duco, Detroit, uh, WMUZ, John Rush, Rush to Reason at a KLZ in Denver. I'm Roger Marsh with the Bottom Line Show broadcasting in the People's Republic of California where, of course, you know we lead the league in environmental regulations. And this hmm. is one of those places where I'm sitting here. It's fascinating to hear all of our conversation, which I think has been so great. And John, I, I know you want to get to a point, but before you do, I just want to add this, the fact that as Christians, you're right. We're being drawn to the table. We need to because when you aren't a part of the conversation, then you just get run over by people who really, I think, have some fairly good intentions but some evil desires. And when you put those two together, you get a lot of the huge legislative overreach that we've seen all wrapped up in the cloak of, I want to protect the environment. So I'm glad we're having this discussion. John, your point. Well, and what I was going to say is, you know, where I think, Bob, we could have done things differently as Christians, and all of what you said is is true. I agree. I feel the same way. If there's some development or something that goes in that benefits a lot more people than that tree sitting there does, then by all means, let's remove the tree. But on the same token, I think as Christians and even, you know, and, and this is this is back to what Neil was talking about earlier, you know, as Christians, we should have been involved in everything in our society, from Amen. the trades Agreed. Agreed. to the, the architect to the, the, the developer to the contractor. And what I'm getting at is, you know, back in the day, we just felt like, let's just put a big, huge parking lot in. Let's not worry about doing shared parking in any way, shape, or form. Let's just lay pavement, build the church, and away we go. And the reality is we've all learned since then, there's a lot better ways of even doing architecture and building and making things a lot more friendly, not just for the environment, but for even the people that are attending. And yet I think in a lot of ways, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to poke some eyes here, we kind of had a blind eye to that and just said, yeah, we'll just pave it and not worry about it. Well, the reality is we should have, as Christians, taken the lead in some of these things that do benefit the environment more than just paving a lot. Okay, but what what is it that we should be worrying about? When oh, there's so many things. Okay, okay but we're being told we're going to displace the crickets. Uh, should I feel bad about that? No, and that, and no, and that part, you and I are in lock, stock, and barrel on. You know, from the preble mouse to the cricket to whatever it happens to be, that part I, is not an issue okay. on mine. But what I'm saying is when it comes to even, you know, building materials and how we do parking lots and how we make things look and how we, you know, sort of work our way into the environment, even as churches or shopping centers or what have you. And as Christians, if I think we would have taken a little different look at how some of those things work, we maybe wouldn't have had such a black eye when it comes to some of the things the world sees in us as Christians. What would they have wanted us to do differently, though, than we would? If we put the parking lot there, we are going to displace the crickets and the squirrels, okay. But what is it what is it specifically that we could have done differently, though, that, that wouldn't have given us the well, perception well, black eye? For example, there are ways of doing, and Roger knows this from California, it's a little harder for us to do it in, in Colorado and Detroit, but there's parts of the country where you can do parking lots that are made out of soft material and not hard material, where the look, the feel, the, the coolness of even the atmosphere around that place not having blacktop down. I mean, again, there's so many things, and granted, we've learned a lot of this stuff in the past 20, 25 years that didn't exist some 50 years ago. You know, the entire building community has learned those things, but my point is is I don't think as churches, you know, we've sort of looked at that stuff as, you know, we're anti all of that versus embracing it and saying as churches, we should have been the leader in some of those things, not the denier of those things. Okay. That's uh, what I'm saying. All right. Now, we're just about out of time. In our last uh, last few minutes, I know when talking about global warming, climate change and such, uh, we've talked about our views on this on our own shows many times. Personally, I do think it is a lot of hooey and hot air. And I remember I graduated high school in 1978. Back then, it was global cooling in the coming ice age. I remember uh, all of that. I look at the stories that are being told about uh, Al Gore claiming that the uh, Florida is going to be underwater. And okay, mm-hmm. all these liberal activists who are saying that the rising sea levels are going to be disastrous for us are the very people that are buying multi-million dollar mansions on the coasts, like Barack right. and Michelle Obama just recently 
recently did, all the Hollywood celebrities. And I've challenged my listeners as well to uh, go back to, to, to look right now at a picture of Miami Beach, Florida, look at an overhead shot, look at the buildings, look at the water, and look at how wide the gap of sand is between the two on the beach. Then go back and look at images from Miami Beach from the 1970s, very same shots, the buildings are in the same place. Notice the, the the gap of sand is just as wide. Okay, the water levels are the same. This is this is baloney. I think we're being fed a whole you know bill of goods here. But the Paris Climate Accord always comes up. We know if Joe Biden gets elected that President Kamala Harris is going to put us back into the Paris Climate Accord. I don't think we ought to go into it, but let's take maybe our last couple of minutes and go around the table and give our thoughts about that. I'll tell you first off, my opinion is that this is absurd. If you look at what the Paris Climate Accord itself says, their goal to achieve, if they have 100% participation from countries all around the world, uh, their best that they can hope for is a 0.2% Celsius reduction in global warming between now and the year 2100. All right, that's a pretty small negligible amount. It depends on every nation being on board, which we know Russia, China, and a lot of other big carbon producers around the world are not on board with that anyway. Uh, so why would we carry the lion's share of something like this for such a small negligible amount? And that's based on the United Nations predictions being accurate, which we know they can't even tell us what the weather's gonna be tomorrow, let alone 50 or 100 years from now. So why would we sacrifice millions of jobs and billions of dollars of corporations in America to devastate the finances of this country for something that has such a negligible payout when we know all the other big nations aren't going to participate in this anyway and the predictions would have to be right, which they've been wrong on. So to me, it's illogical to go forward with Paris Climate Accord. I'm done ranting. Anybody else? <laughs> No, I agree I, with you. I yeah, think it was I, a I huge effort to uh, emasculate the United States uh, economically and otherwise. Extortion. Exactly. I don't like extortion, guys, period. No, nobody nobody does. And when you get right down to it, we had a more socialist-driven government at that point that was saying, yes, we need to do this because the environmental mantra is always we can appeal to people emotionally. It's, it's Thomas Sowell 101 where he says progressives are more interested in rhetoric than results. The, the, it sounded great. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we all did this? Well, the reality is... The, the country that leads the world in environmental regulations and cutting uh, pollutants in the air so, is us. But if China doesn't play ball, if Russia doesn't play ball, if, if France doesn't play ball, then we're all sharing the same air, for crying out right. loud. I mean, it's only right. if everybody participates, it works. If only one country does it, then it messes the whole thing up. And then you have this massive wealth transfer to kind of somehow pay for our sins. Trust me, we've had the carbon tax, the cap and tax here in California for years, and it's supposed to cut on pollution. And all it does is it just increases the cost of business for the companies that are, in fact, gross polluters. They buy their carbon credits and pollute anyway. And they just raise their prices and pass them along to the consumers. So it, idealistically, altruistically, it's a wonderful idea. In real life, it doesn't matter because it doesn't add up. But it does put, I mean, Christians are on the clock now. We, I mean, we've let, to John's point and Neil's excellent points all with regard to the issues that are literally biblical issues that we've let the society dictate and mandate and kind of twist and warp into their own version of it. Now, not only do we have to do the rebuilding, but we've got to fight off the others. It's, it's Nehemiah rebuilding the wall all over again but we really have to engage in this area uh, by the way let me jump in john you mentioned a stat earlier the the u.s forest service uh 2000 to 2017 said 85 percent of wildfires in the united states are caused by humans and there may have been an independent study that verified that that number is higher but even 85 percent i don't high. think the vast majority of american people have any clue it's that they high. they don't they don't have that idea right so true great point. uh well, I'll tell you what, it's been a very interesting discussion, gentlemen, uh, and uh, we invite all of you folks listening to 
Go ahead and listen to us at uh, Crawford.live. There's a whole inventory of previous podcasts and episodes you can listen to. You can also listen on Apple Podcasts. You can uh, subscribe to Stitcher, TuneIn, and more. We would love it if you would review the podcast. We'll take a big, fat five-star review from any of you. And Roger Marsh, of course, the bottom line out of Southern California. John Rush, Rush to Reason out of Denver, Colorado. Neil Boron, Neil Boron Live out of Buffalo, New York. Uh, myself, Bob Duco, the Bob Duco Show out of Detroit. Gentlemen, great catching up with you as always. And Roger, stay safe out there. You know, put some uh, put some water, create a moat around your house so you don't have to worry <laughs> about the fires. Wait, should I add to the moat I already have? I mean, the piranhas and alligators are getting kind of crowded in there. <laughs> well, you know, just, this is true. You know what? We just need pay to grow- paradise and put up a parking lot. Built- oh, yeah. that's great. <laughs> oh, Thanks, Joni. You're great. Appreciate now I'm going to have that tune running through my head for the rest of the day. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Neil. But which version? That's the question. Uh, yeah. That is true. <laughs> That is true. All right. No, Roger, let's uh, build bridges, not moats. Okay. Okay. You got it. You got it. For you, Bob, I'll do that. Stop the hate. Stop the hate. (laughs) All right, uh, guys. Great catching up with you. Thanks. Uh, We'll see you all next week. God bless everybody. This has been the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Download and subscribe to the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and more. Apple users can rate the podcast, and we'd appreciate your five-star rating. National Crawford Roundtable Podcast returns with a new discussion each week. Be sure to watch for the notification on your podcast app. This has been a Crawford Broadcasting Company production.